157, we're moving. Another event, we're moving. situations such as maybe a marriage, a dead-end job, a financial or health situation, a family matter to just name a few of the things that you may feel like you are trapped in. We can do a whole lot of complaining, a whole lot of griping, a whole lot of finger-pointing, can't we? Uh, no doubt about that. There's never an end of that. Well, we looked at the first step. The first step was to realize that in this life we deserve worse than uh, we are experiencing. Amen? Uh, you, th- you consider all the things that God has done for us and all the, thing that God, all the things that God does uh, and is doing and, and plans to do in our lives. Uh, folks, we got pretty good. We got really pretty good. Not as good as heaven, but you know, a whole lot better than what the rest of the world has. Amen? Right. We, got something to, we have something to look forward to when we wake up in the morning. We have got some, uh, something to look forward to throughout the day how God's going to use us and the things that God's uh, going to uh, guide us in. But uh, pity parties are absolutely counterproductive to uh, dealing with uh, uh, the feeling of being trapped. And that's probably the first place we go, woe is me, pity me. And we try to drag as many, as many people as we can into that vortex of feeling sorry for us, the individual. So remember, as we mentioned in the first point, that circumstances do not trap us. Our attitudes are what traps us. We can either figure out how we're going to get out of it, or we can sit there and stew and complain and moan and groan about it. So what we need to do is to avoid those unnecessary battles, and that's the first step. Sometimes being able to step back from something, you know you want to say something, you're going to burst if you don't say something. And so you say it, and then you say, I never should have said that. I never should have done that. Somehow on the way there. And so sometimes the best thing to do is just back off, walk away from it, go out there and find a tree, talk to a tree or something like that, uh, where you feel a whole lot better off. But the second thing we said was to realize that those circumstances change. God never changes. Never forget that. God never changes. And let's face it, we've gone through it probably a, a, a plethora of different circumstances in our lifetime, certainly prior to our marriage or uh, in our courtships, in our marriages, now children have come along there. We, we've all faced just a number of circumstances from health issues to job issues to child discipline issues to marital problems, you name it. We've had them, amen? And so it seemed like we might get done with one set of circumstances and boy, we find ourselves right in the next one again. So just remember that God doesn't change. Uh, and hopefully you uh, waited upon him, let him guide you and direct you through the first set of problems, uh, set of circumstances, and now you have got the additional strengths. Okay, he got me through that one, he can get me through the next one here. But we have to understand that then uh, uh, God is the only sure and 
stability in our lives. There is nothing more stable than God in our life. Absolutely nothing. God and his word are absolutely stable. Pressures may come from several sources at once. And Saul, we see here, is always in hot pursuit of David. It seems like no matter which way he turned, that uh, Saul was chasing him with his armies. And uh, uh, they get some places like he did down there in a couple of the southern cities there. And Doag was there in the city of Nob. And uh, Doag was there and he saw the, uh, the conversation between uh, the, uh, I think it was a him. A him it was a Himalek. I think it was a Himalek. The priest was there. And it was the high priest that was there. And uh, he reported that, uh, Doeg reported that back to uh, Saul. Next thing you know, Saul's down here with his army stations. So it seemed like no matter where David went or wherever David thought he could be safe, uh, it wasn't very long before Saul and his armies were in hot pursuit. So David's under pressure from his men as well. So it's not only the pressure of, of King Saul and not knowing exactly who in Israel, saw David last and saw him where, whether, whether or not they would report that back to King Saul and he'd be on the lamb again. But he was also under pressure from his men. Uh, they wanted to get home. They wanted to be able to go home to their families, wanted to go home to their, their homes and so on. And so uh, uh, in this uh, Psalm 57 as well as uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24. So doing the right thing is always right to do. Always remember that. That our circumstances, even though whether we can sense God's presence or not, it is always incumbent upon you and I to do the right thing. Always. Always. And we can't turn and say, well, if God had or if God this or God had that. Uh, we know what is right to do, so we do the right thing. So doing the right thing is always right to do, even if it seems the circumstances may tell us otherwise. Satan's pretty, pretty crafty. He can make our circumstances seem like, you know what, this is what God would have you to do. It may be, you know, your pastors have to face this all the time. They'll look at it and say, well, the circumstances are lending themselves. I think it's time for me to move on. Or I think it's time for me to quit. Or the missionary gets out there and he doesn't see a lot of results, a lot of fruit from his labors. And he's probably thinking, okay, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. I'm doing the wrong thing or something here. And so they begin to question uh, God's leadership and God's call in their lives. And uh, it can be the same thing in our individual Christian lives. So the third as well as the fourth thing tonight, third thing is to realize it is a waste of time looking for solutions in the wrong places. In the wrong places. And that means counselors. Don't go to the, to the counselors who you know is never going to give you any kind of spiritual guidance. Because the, the, uh, the, uh, the boosts that we need and the information that we need and the direction that we need is almost always what? Comes from God, not from man. And so in verse 3 of Psalm 57, it says, and David's speaking about God, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Now that word sila just is a simple word that simply means hesitate, meditate, think on this. Think what the psalmist is trying to, is trying to share with us, something that he had realized. But it goes on and it says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And so as David is uh, reflecting on that day, when David and the a few of his men had ventured into a cave because Saul was in the area with his band. And so they figured, hey, let's just take some refuge. We'll, we'll hide here in the cave. They'll never bother. Uh, lo and behold, Saul enters the cave. And David and his men are back in the cave, but they can see Saul, but Saul can't see them. And so the man that's with him has a bright idea. God put him here. And maybe God, I believe God did put him there, but not to be killed. I believe he's here also to see what David would do. Would God 
would David trust God to take care of Saul in Saul's time rather than in David's time? So here's the situation. The circumstances would have lent themselves to the idea, aha, this is my opportunity. God has given to me an opportunity. And indeed, as I said, he did give David an opportunity, but it was an opportunity to do whether or not he would trust God. And so he was going to turn it over and make sure that God did what God wanted to do. And so sometimes doing nothing is one of the best options that we have. We may be just ready to just burst, you know, just seems like we're just going to blow apart. And uh, we're kind of gritting our teeth and uh, getting locked jaw, whatever it might be there, and we're getting tense and emotionally distraught. And sometimes it's just a matter of just saying, I'm not going to do anything at this point. So David, like you and I, had several other possibilities to which he could have turned. He could have turned to the Philistines for help with eliminating King Saul. Amen. He could have gone over and befriended. He tried that. That didn't work a little bit later on. But nonetheless, uh, he could have capitulated, gone over there and uh, so on. Because there, was not, there wasn't any love between the Philistines and the Israelites, especially Saul. Now, David could have set traps or, or simply followed the advice of others. He could have put snares out for Saul. However, God is always the first person that we should seek and wait upon. That's why the best option is to, to not respond immediately, but to just be silent, just be quiet. Give God a few moments to speak to you, to address your, your feelings, whatever they might be. And I'll guarantee you that you'll be a whole lot better off if you just let God guide and direct you. So even though God finally took care of the problem, and we know that eventually Saul and went to battle with the Philistines, and of course in the battle Saul and a couple of his sons were killed. And uh, that paved, I mean, even as it was, it was a difficult transition from, from Saul. And of course Jonathan was dead, his other son was dead, but he had a couple others that were not dead that were going to assume the, the kingdom uh, from their father. And so when David took over after Saul's death in Hebron, then trying to bring all of Israel in, there were some problems. But could you have imagined if Jonathan was still alive or his other, his other son was alive and the problems that would have existed at that particular time? Well, God was working, God was guiding, and God was directing, and God did take care of the problem. He, and I'm sure that David kind of went, I'm glad I didn't take, uh, take it in my own hands when I was in that cave. So Saul was God's problem. Not David. Saul was God's problem. Note verse 3a. It says there, it says, He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Saul wanted David dead. I mean, there was no question about it. Saul wanted David dead. David, he had no ill will towards Saul. I think that's important that we understand that we have enemies. Amen? We have people that may say things about us, people who do things to us that we wouldn't, that we, you know, whether it's at work, one thing or another. Uh, but we have to be careful to make sure that we don't have any ill will towards our enemies. We are God's children. Amen? And being God's children, any affront to us is an affront to God as long as we are living a, a, a righteous life before the Lord. And so we can step back and say, I have no ill will toward that individual. Therefore, I can pray for that individual. I can pray for their salvation. I can pray for an opportunity to be able to make sure that we get this thing straightened out along the way. But I don't believe that David really had any ill will. I believe he wanted to go home. I believe he wanted to go home and be with his family and continue on with life as normal, uh, as, as, as much as normal could be. But uh, uh, Saul was God's problem. And the confidence that David has in God is that letting go may not be an easy thing to do. 
but it is more often than not the right thing to do is to let it go and say, well, you know what, Lord, I could jump in here and I would probably make a bigger mess out of it than it already is. So, Lord, I'm just going to stand back. Lord, I'm going to let you guide, let you direct in an individual. And that's when we become a, uh, we're going to before the Lord and pray for that individual. That God will be able to work in his heart. We also have to pray for God to work in our own heart as well. So it's not just a one-way situation there because uh, uh, for whatever reason, when we're praying that we maintain the right attitude, that we maintain the right disposition toward the individual with no ill will, then it's amazing. It's, it's the idea of heaping coal on the other individual's head. Letting God work in that person's heart. And who knows, that, that individual who would per, uh, pretend to be your enemy could become a really good friend. And you're probably thinking, uh, I hope not. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, you know, it's amazing what God, what God can do to heart. Changing heart and changing life. And you could become brothers and sisters in the Lord and could become good friends. Now, if you're bent on the idea that, God, I want you to destroy that person. I want you to ruin their life. I want you to take them out of the picture altogether. Well, that may not be the best, that may not be the best solution along the way. And so the idea simply is that uh, uh, letting go may not be easy, but in the long run, when God moves, life, uh, life following will be a lot easier for you and I, the individual. Because we took the right path. We had the right course. And life is going to be so much easier. And then fourthly tonight, a fourth step is to realize that it's wiser sometimes to avoid battles. How many times have you kind of felt, oh, okay, there's a, there's a battle around the corner here somewhere. And maybe with your children. And maybe with a family member. And maybe with somebody at work. And you just, you just have this sense that if I go in there and I open my mouth, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an atomic bomb. It's going to go off in that place. And so maybe the best thing to do is to just avoid it altogether. Verses 4 through 6. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue, their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They, are, they have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. So what a, what a position to take when you know that there's a man and a number of people who w- would love to take the throne in place of David. They'd love to see David dead. And so he says, uh, be thou exalted in verse 5. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. No, that's, that's tremendous. Lord, I want you to be exalted. So if you sense there's, a, there's something brewing and that if you walked in or you stepped in, it would be okay. Well, this is not going to be a good, this is not going to be good after all. Then just kind of back out, walk away and say, Lord, I want you to be exalted. I want to go in there as your child and go in there and say something that, I, that I'm going to regret having said or do something that I'm going to regret having done. So that, Lord, you would not be glorified and you would be not magnified. They may come to you afterward and say, listen, there was a meeting in here and how come you didn't come? Be honest with them. So, you know, if I had gone in here, but it would have been World War III. And so I, be, I felt the best thing was for me to do was to honor my God and just not step in there and, and do what I knew would have uh, detracted from the Lord my God. So this was a wise step that David took in guarding himself at a very vulnerable time in his life. He felt trapped and in danger, yet he refused to engage himself in another uh, avoidable conflict. It was an avoidable conflict. Now, he could have he taken that Saul out. 
But David and his men still had to get out of the cave. They still had to get down, and there would have been another battle because those who were supposed to be protecting the king weren't going to turn around and say, oh, David, he's now our king now because Saul's dead. No, uh, they would have done everything they could to get uh, to, uh, well, to have done what they should have done. That was to have protected Saul in the first place there and to seek vengeance on David. And, and so he would have walked right into a different battle. I think he would have walked into also a political battle as well. So David is finding his men are becoming increasingly frustrated and angry with Saul and even David. And we can take a quick look back to 2 Samuel chapter 24 and look at verse 7 there where David speaks of his men. Samuel 24 and verse 7, the Bible says there, So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. Now he said suffered them. He pleaded with them. He assured them, please, let's not do this. This is, this is not, not for us to do. This is for God to take care of, whatever he had to do. But I'm sure they were egging him on. I'm sure that they were pushing and pressing uh, for David to take care of Saul. And it says, uh, and it says uh, in verse 7, uh, uh, I get it right here. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David, after Saul had gone on his way, David called out. He uh, spoke with Saul at that distance there. And Saul realized that he indeed was the unjust one, not David. Not that he ever believed that David was unjust to begin with, but then you have to make things up along the way. So it was hard for them to understand why David did not strike when he had the chance. The iron was hot. This is the moment. God's brought him in here. They even quoted a, a, a proverb, if you will, that this is what you should have done because God has done it. God has put your enemy in your presence and you're in a position... And we could have all gone home, could have gone home to our wives, could have gone home to our families, could have gone home to our, uh, to our fields and so on. So it seemed to them that God had set up the perfect opportunity. But folks, leadership, whether in the home or elsewhere, is important. Never start more than one brush fire at a time. Amen? You don't need to, to burn the candle at both ends. And a lot of people, it just seems like that's exactly what they do. Regardless whether it is a discipline measure at home or at work, handle the one difficulty or the one incident without compounding the circumstances by piling on. Deal with what is there because somehow we want to justify what we're about to do and we pile on. And so we need to deal with what is currently the issue at hand. As to ourselves, David refused to engage his fellow soldiers over this issue with Saul. He refused to do so. David's brushfire was King Saul, and was not, I should say, King, uh, David's brushfire was not King Saul and his soldiers seeking out David wherever he might be. David's men were strongly encouraging David to kill Saul. David, however, refused to start another brushfire. With whom then was his battle? With, with whom was the brush fire? His men? No. It was with God. It was the last thing that David needed in his life to alienate the most important man in his life who was helping him to escape, to remain alive until God's plan could come into place where David would be the anointed king by the people. So it was David's choice not to offend God but to offend his men. He said, I am not going to offend 
Uh, and so he says there, back, as we just read there in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 7, and you read and add to that in verse 12 as well. So things are not always expedient to those around us, but to the one whose heart God is working on, whose heart God is working in. It is best to let God work regardless of how others see it or feel. Sometimes we don't always get the best advice, do we? We may state something to somebody and they'll just jump right in without having prayed about it, without having thought about it, or sought from God's word a direction. They'll just, I'm guilty of that sometimes. Someone comes up and says this and I say, well, this is what you should have done. This is what you should have said along the way. And then I think about it a little bit later on and say, nah, that wasn't so smart after all. So we do, we have to be careful sometimes and... Uh, uh, it is best to let God work regardless how others see it or feel. And so David's peace rested in God's timing, not his own or what the others felt was the perfect timing. It always rests within God's timing. And we can always look back and say, God, I'm glad I was patient and I waited for you. When God wants you to move, you'll know when it's time to move. And he'll be very clear about it. Amen. So that's the, there's one more to go. And we're going to, it's a brief one, but we're going to do that. And we'll look at uh, Psalm 58 next time. We'll, go on. we'll introduce Psalm 8. So. All right, prayer card.